0: Hi, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Infused Church. My name is Taylor. Um, we're starting off a new series, and uh, I'm glad to be here, part of our teaching team and one of the pastors here. Uh, we have a great team of people that uh, communicate here and up in Cedar Rapids. And uh, But today we're gonna start off a new series for the next three weeks called I'm In. And we're gonna talk about, start by talking about, that ex- same thing that he just brought up, which is we don't like to talk about our weaknesses. And if we have to, in these weird very weird moments in which it actually comes up, which is like, I don't even know, maybe like the doctor's office and a job interview. We avoid making it, you know, quite as bad as it, maybe in the doctor's office, you guys make it like really bad, like really dramatic. But in a job interview, you certainly don't make it as bad as it really is, right? You don't go into a job interview and they say, hey, what's your biggest weakness? And you just, you know, blurt out something like credit card debt. You know, like I'm hoping you pay well because I have a lot of bills. Um, you know, you don't start off with you know that you you have a drinking problem. You don't start off with your arrogance and your pride. That would be weird, right? You you say something like more abstract, like you know, I just I sometimes am too organized. You know. Um, or something like that, that makes you sound good, but is technically a weakness. Anyways, but the point being, we avoid our weaknesses in general. We don't like talking about them um, anytime that we're confronted with it and make it sound a little less bad. Um, An example of this uh, for uh, me, and I really didn't realize this would be so like embarrassing for me, but it kind of was, Um, we had a little bit of a party, it was a strange party, uh, Memorial Day weekend, and it was a party that involved like the moms and the kids, the kids were on a bouncy house, the moms had all the food going, and the men, we were uh, chainsawing trees down at our farm. I know, that sounds, like, that's like the American dream right there, isn't it? Like a perfect, yeah. So anyways, there's a couple of us guys, and we were dropping trees in the yard, and then we'd drag them and set them on fire. So it was very enjoyable. Um, yeah, it was good. Anyways, um, you know, what could go wrong, right? Uh, well, It did. Uh, So there was one particular tree that we thought we knew where it was going to go, because we're men. And uh, unfortunately, it did not go the way we thought it would go. I'm sure the ladies could have told us, but they weren't there. So um, anyway, so it fell down, and it didn't just fall um, anywhere. It fell onto um, a power line. Now, it's it's not that bad. Okay, and so in the picture that you're seeing, it, it's leaning on the power line. So um, the power line, though, it wasn't, you know, sparking. It wasn't lighting anything on fire or anything. We were pretty sure the power line was dead. The problem with the power line is we were pretty sure it was dead. We were, it was connected to another pole that was then connected to the line that actually goes to our house. And so um, we thought, hey, this could theoretically be bad if, you know, it brings the line down, then pulls our line down, and then then we really have a disaster on our hands, okay? And so you have a couple of options. Now, I want to talk to the men for just a second. Ladies, you just hang on, hold back your judgment, okay? I'm just going to talk to the men for a second. Men, you got two options, okay? Here's the position I was in. Option number one, you call a lion energy on the emergency line, on Memorial Day weekend, and admit that you did the thing that you're not supposed to do, which is drop a a tree next to a power line, okay? And then ask for help. Or you could hook up the skid loader via a strap to the edge of the pole and just try to pull the tree down. Yes, exactly. See, that's what I was thinking. The answer is yes, exactly. However, upon further discussion amongst the guys, the conclusion was reached, which I stayed, um, I voted like um, I was uh, neither for nor against, I abstained, um, that the conclusion was we should probably call the power company. And so um, I really didn't want to do that. I can't tell you how bad I didn't want to do that. And so I got on the phone and they're like, you know, if this is an emergency, select one. And I'm like, uh, is it an emergency? It hasn't fallen over yet, you know. Um, so I hit number one, and the lady came on the phone, and I had to explain to her something along the lines of, hey, I know it's Memorial Day weekend, and she's like, I know it's Memorial Day weekend, I'm here working, you know? And it's like, I, incidentally, we, the tree fell, it's on a power line, can you help? And it was, it, it took a bit of my pride, okay, to uh, admit that and ask for help. So what's the point of all of this, other than being somewhat amusing and you can laugh at the situation? Um, The point of it uh, is that when we are in a place of weakness, when we are in a place where we've messed up, And maybe we didn't even mess up. Maybe it was something out of our control. But you know that feeling when it's like, that did not go as planned. That was an event or a situation that caught me off guard. I wasn't ready for it. And now I have to deal with it. And you feel like you're at a disadvantage, right? Um, You feel like you are having to ask for help. You're not in the position of power or authority in this moment. And it doesn't feel good, does it? It feels actually fairly uncomfortable, right? That time you got in trouble for that thing, or you got pulled over, and then you had to go tell your parents, or you did that thing at work, and then you shouldn't have, and then you thought nobody was gonna find out, but then they did find out, or you know, then you had to tell your spouse the truth and it wasn't great, right? That that moment where you felt that your chest tighten inside because you didn't like the position you found yourself in. I mean, really, any time I think when we're confronted with our frailty, with our morality even, with how chaotic life can be, we're so overwhelmed or we're broken, um, we, we feel shame or guilt, we feel that hurt, we are in a position of weakness, We're in a position of disadvantage and we don't like it. And so we do everything we can to avoid it as best we can or make it sound better or feel better than it really actually is. And I wanna tell you today that I don't think in a lot of those situations, I probably can't think of every situation that you've ever found yourself in, or maybe you find yourself in today, but what I hope that you will come away with today is that you uh, do not have to be alone in that weakness. And that weakness isn't the end. And I'm not saying it isn't as bad as it is. I mean, the situation for you could be bad, But what I want to do is at least provide a recommendation for how you handle that feeling, that pain and that hurt and that disadvantage in those moments or that moment that you're in right now. Um, And to do that, I want to tell you a little, another story. Um, In this story, there's three characters, okay? And and one character, um, you know, we kind of aspire to be like, but we've never fully experienced that. But the other two characters, I think we can relate to. And so, I really want you to pay attention to those characters and how they behave, and how you have probably behaved at some point in your life very similar to that that you emotionally have been in a very similar place as those two characters. I almost guarantee you that you have and today 's story comes from a guy named Luke. He was a doctor i 'm not sure if he was a very good one, but he was a doctor, a very um, thorough uh, kind of a guy he Documented the account of Jesus, and then he documented the account of the early church. And he wrote them down, and he sent them out to people, and they are called the book of Luke, and they're called the book of Acts. And we find them in the Bible, okay? And so Luke is going to tell us a story from his account that we call Luke. I don't know if he called it Luke, but we call it Luke. And um, and of the story of these three characters. There was other people there, but primarily he, he's writing about these three characters, okay? So we're gonna introduce character number one. And we've all been there, we've all done that. Um, and if you grew up in church, you may know exactly who I'm talking about in this character, uh, but you know, just let me set this up for you a little bit, if you will, okay? So character number one from Luke chapter seven, verses 36. When one of the Pharisees, okay, period. Um, Pharisees are character number one. Pharisees, just a little backstory, uh, was a group of people, like you could be a Pharisee, but there was a group of people called the Pharisees. And uh, the Pharisees were a group of people that kind of started around 150 BC, so before Christ, and they went until about 70 AD, so 70 years um, after the birth of Christ. Okay, so you got about a couple centuries in there that the Pharisees existed. Now Pharisees, um, I don't know, maybe if you grew up in church, I always thought like the Pharisees were like something that God said, hey, I'm going to start this group called the Pharisees. It wasn't a God-started thing. It was a very human-started thing. It was a human title that the Jewish people kind of came up with back in the day in, in um, what is now modern-day Israel. Um, and uh, so these these um, guys, because they were always guys, these men uh, were more powerful than pastors. They weren't like rabbis. They weren't pastors. They were like senior management, okay? And um, if you ever read, the thing that I want you to know about this is that when you read the Gospels, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the account of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection, um, you see the Pharisees come in throughout the entire story, in and out, in and out, and they're kind of generally seen, not always, but majority of time they're like the bad guys, they're the antagonists, okay, because they're the religious people, and the thing about the Pharisees that relate to you and I is they're um, the group of people that are never wrong. Like, rarely, and I really tried to rack my brain on this, that the Pharisees, in the Gospels at least, because Paul was a Pharisee, and if you get to know who Paul was, he admitted his weaknesses all the time. But in the Gospels, at least, there was very few times when a Pharisee would admit to or come across in any way like having some degree of humility, They would never admit to weakness. They'd never admit to brokenness. They were not wrong. They would not take responsibility. And almost always they would defer responsibility and and blame and fault to someone else, right? And those are the responses we have when we don't want to admit that we were wrong or that we were in a position of weakness, right? We defer blame. We push blame on other people. We do not accept blame. And we redirect it. We don't take responsibility responsibility, okay? These are the characters that were not weak, and you and I have been there, right? Maybe you're right there right now because you had a fight on the drive over in the car, okay? That happens. You guys tell me about it. I have fights with Steph on the drive over sometimes. Um, that's why we don't drive together. No, I have to drive the truck. Just kidding. Um, I drove the truck today, uh, but in, or we're in two separate locations, one in Cedar Rapids, one here. But anyways, so back on topic, uh, I digress. Uh, you, you have an argument, right? And you don't want to admit that you're wrong. That's the Pharisee. That's the Pharisee in all of us coming out because they are the religious right. The religious right. God is on their side. They're the in the skid loader and tree story. They're the part of me that said, we'll just hook up a strap and pull that thing down because by golly, we have God on our side. Okay. That's the kind of heart you have to have for that. Okay. Now, Second character. Okay, you got the Pharisees. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus, second character, to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house, the Pharisee's name was Simon, we'll find out that later, and reclined at the table. So he goes over to the, Jesus wasn't um, like opposed to the Pharisees, they just got in a lot of theological uh, and really not theological so much as heart disagreements behind what the law and what God intended okay? But he didn't not hang out with them. He wasn't, um, he didn't come to earth just to oppose the Pharisees. So they're hanging out, and there's going to be this incredible moment between Jesus and the Pharisees and the third character. But real quick, just so we're all on the same, Jesus, um, we as Christians believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He came down to earth to teach humanity about God and to be God in a body on earth and to save humanity. And as Christians, we believe he is our king. And so that's who we follow. He is our Lord, he guides us, direct us, shows us a value system, uh, a rule system for how we are to live our life to the fullest so our lives can be at the fullest. So anyway, so you got Jesus, okay? Then the third character, and you may be familiar with the story. Try not to jump ahead too far, but here's the third character. Then a woman in that town who lived a sinful life, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And a lot of uh, attention oftentimes is given to the value of the alabaster jar. If you grew up in church, you probably heard a sermon or two or three or five or six um, that had to do with the value of the alabaster jar and the significance of what she was about to do with it. But for now, I want to focus on her heart. I want to focus on how that heart relates so often to each and every one of us. And that is that she is not just any woman. What Luke documents is she is a sinful woman. She is a sinful woman. In other words, let me translate that for you. She is coming into this room weak. She is not coming from a position in her heart of strength. She is coming into the room vulnerable. She's coming into the room beat down. She's coming into the room worn out, and you may not like to admit it, but we have all been there, haven't we? We have all been in that position where you're so tired of the fight. You're so tired of the things, of the decisions you've made, and how the cost of that has racked up against you. And sometimes, that's because we have sinned. And you would look at this and say, well, that feels really uh, sinful. That feels really judgmental to say that this woman is a sinner and to call her out like that. And that's a lot of times because of the Christian connotation around sin, but, uh, and it's not great, don't get me wrong, but unless you have lived a perfect life, we all can relate to her. If we have fallen short at some point in our life, we find ourselves in the category of being a sinful person like she was. Now, again, we don't want to admit it because we don't like weakness. We don't want to have to admit vulnerability and fault. But if we're honest, we are imperfect people. And when you're an imperfect person or a sinful person, essentially you have fallen short of God's love. You have fallen short of loving God as he loves us, as loving your neighbor as God loves your neighbor, and loving yourself as God loves you. And I'm guessing there has been more than one time when you have fallen short in loving in those three areas. And when you do, when you miss that, that's sin, and I think for most of you, you can be comfortable. You don't like this idea, but you can be comfortable with it. And one of the reasons I think that's true is because from the very beginning of this church, when we were in a coffee shop in Coraville, we've put on our website and had kind of everywhere that we are a church of imperfect people. And I tell you, the number of times over the years that people have come up to me and said, I saw that and I thought I could go to church there because it's a church for imperfect people. And I think deep down, we all know what it would be like to go to a church of perfect people. It'd be stuffy. It's probably be a little inauthentic. And it ultimately be a lie. Right? But Jesus in this moment was in a room of perfect, a room full of perfect people, the Pharisees. And in walks the imperfect person and everybody knows it. You can picture that in your mind, right? She walks in and everybody looks and says, not perfect. And deep down, we know under all of those layers, that could be us. And we have been there, broken, lost, weak, sad, and hopeless before. And it is not a great place to be, but there is hope. See, this woman does something that we avoid. We avoid, but something that we really need to do. And Luke tells us, she, the woman, In the next verse, she stood behind him at his feet, weeping. So she walks in, makes her way behind him. There's probably other people. And she began to wet his feet with her tears. In other words, she's gotten probably down on all fours in front of him or before him in some posture in which her tears are now hitting his feet. And then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them from her alabaster jar, to which we feel, and I think our hearts tend to um, put a wall up against what this woman is doing. We tend to be like, "Mm, I don't like that. I would never do that because it's extreme. It feels extreme. It feels unrelatable. But think about Her pain and her wounds. If you took all of your life's pain and and suffering and imperfections and falling short, and you put that all together in one moment, it would probably weigh on you like it was weighing on her. And she didn't want to carry that burden anymore. Just as a lot of times we don't want to carry that burden anymore. And she did something. That we struggle and we fight. We fight strongly against sometimes, and that is in great humility to surrender to God, to the God of all creation, all that she had done, all that she had committed, all of her behaviors and her falling short. She surrendered to Him and gave to Him all that was holding her back all of her sin all of that weakness all of that burden and sought help that's what you're seeing in this moment that's the drama of this moment is all of that coming out in front of all of these religious leaders who were hard of heart who would not admit that they had done anything wrong and they were looking down their noses at her And here's what the story says. I'm just going to read it to you so you can picture it, so you don't have to read it. You can just kind of imagine it in your mind. I think sometimes that's really helpful to do. Now, when the Pharisees had invited invited him and saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of woman this is, touching him. She is a sinner. And Jesus responded. See, he, they didn't even say anything, and Jesus knew what they were, what they were thinking. And Jesus responded and said—because you could maybe he, he knew it because he was half God, or, you know, fully God fully man, but um, I think you could also have just read it in the room, right? And Jesus responded to them saying to the uh, Pharisee, um, I have something to say to you. And he replied, Say it, Teacher. A moneylender had two debtors, and one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he canceled the debts of both. So which one of him, which one of them will love him more? Simon the Pharisee answered and said, "I assume the one for whom he canceled the greater debt." And he said, "You have judged correctly." And turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, So now he's talking to Simon and looking at the woman. Do you see this woman? I have entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she has not stopped kissing my feet since the time I came in. And you did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. And Jesus said to her, your sins have been forgiven. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Look at, look at the depth of God shown through Christ's love for this woman. And the point Jesus was trying to make to those of us And our hearts, when they are so hard, and so prideful, and so sure we have it all together, and so comfortable. And said to those of us, in those times that all of us have had, when our hearts are vulnerable, they are hurting, and they are soft, in some cases broken. And Jesus looks at her and says, you are forgiven because you've come to me and shown me love. And I want to love you in return. To, to paraphrase his ending statement, we've talked about this before if you've been here for a while. Um, he said, your faith has, has saved you. Go in peace. And he didn't just use any word. He would have said it in probably Hebrew or the Hebrew um, uh, idea was behind it. And that is the word of shalom. Shalom which is God's peace, which is not just no war. It includes that, but it's way deeper than that. It's that you will become complete. You would be made whole. You would be restored again to how it should be in paradise, when all things are perfect and right. And Jesus is saying, I want you to leave this moment, woman, with your wholeness restored. I want you to be whole again. Because I have loved you. And I don't know, my friends, when, when you are weak, when you are feeling hopeless, when you are broken, when you are imperfect, this, I hope, communicates to you that in those moments, God wants to protect you. God wants to stand between you and all the perfect people out there. All the people who are looking their, down their nose at you. All those people, they may not even be looking. You just feel like they're looking at you like that. Or you feel like the rest of the world, if they knew what you had did and if they knew the pain that you had been feeling in your heart, they would not love you. And Jesus, in the midst of that, looks at her and loves her, protects her, comforts her, and forgives her to make her whole again. And my friends, that is love that fixes brokenness. That is love that forgives sin and makes things right again, that allows us to take that burden of weakness that we so often feel that holds us down so deeply sometimes and to give it over, not let it go, not try to forget it, but to hand it over to someone who knows all about it and loves you in spite of all of it. That's God. When you're in a moment of weakness, and this is Christian and non-Christian alike, how does it feel if you were in a position when those moments happen where you said, I can't, I can't do it anymore. I can't fix this problem. I can't resolve it. But I know someone who can. I know someone you can't. I can't, but I know someone who can. How does that feel? How does that feel when someone then shows up and helps? When someone shows up into your life in those moments when you are sometimes feeling low or at your lowest, and they help, not with pity. They didn't show up because they pitied you they don't show up because they're judging you. They're not showing up because they want one up on you, or they can then do you that you owe them a favor or something like that. They show up because they love you, and they want to help you fix what is broken in your life. When that happens, if you can think of ever that has happened in your life, it feels amazing. I mean, this is a way oversimplified example, and it's kind of funny, and it's heartwarming, but I just... I was so shocked by this moment with um, myself and our girls and um, they had taken, um, I don't know, maybe a beanie baby cat or something and they had thrown it into our fig tree. And so they could have gotten it out, but for whatever reason, they didn't. Probably because they wanted to give me stuff for my sermon. But, and so they stood on the couch looking at it. They stood on the couch, the fig tree's here and they stood at it pointing at it and they started yelling for me. And and they wanted me to come in and be the firefighter that saved the day in their moment of weakness. They probably could have got the cat, but they didn't. They allowed me to come in and help them. And that was, I'm telling you, like as a dad, I just, I was, I was it was overwhelming getting a silly cat out of a fig tree. Because because why? It wasn't the cat in the It had nothing to do with that. It was because my girls wanted my help, and they looked forward to dad coming in and saving the day in their moment of weakness. That is God. That is God when we are in a moment of weakness, and we cry out to him, and we say, Father, I need you. Help me. When people who are broken come to the church, the body of Christ, the representative of Christ on earth, like people ask, well, if Jesus just showed up, it'd be really great if I could just see him, right? Well, you are supposed to see him in the body of Christ, in the collective unity of the church. And somebody comes and says, I need help. And the church can say, as Christ, we'd love to help. We can help. How can we help you? It, it's an amazing moment that builds such relationship that's founded on love. Because in that moment, I loved my girls more, and I loved the fact that they wanted, they needed me. And that's what I think our Heavenly Father wants too, is when we go to Him and we say, Father, I need you, He feels loved, and then we can feel loved by Him. That's what Jesus is demonstrating in this moment, even in our brokenness. One of the people that we have had... Um, Uh, the honor of getting to know and meet over the last six plus months and uh, being able to walk through a crazy journey um, as a church and even in their small group um, is AJ. And so you're gonna hear AJ's story um, and AJ's gonna share a little bit about his experiencing coming and being a part of the body of Christ, you all here at Infused Church and what that has and what God's love has meant, uh, um, shown through you to him. And so I get the great joy of having AJ click the slide on his own video so you all can enjoy it. So, AJ, if you would be so kind.
1: My mom passed away in 2003 from cancer. And the way she lived her life, always going to church, and even until she died, every Sunday she was at church. And yeah, I felt a lot of anger at God for. Taking her, and that's why I just quit believing. If he could take, in my eyes, somebody as perfect as my mom was, then why? So, yeah, I felt a lot of anger at God. I was in an abusive relationship for five years. And I didn't realize it was abusive until it ended. And at the time, I was, it broke me. And I decided that I needed more in my life. So I was like, well, let me try to talk to God. And see if he can help. I went to the first service and when I walked through the doors, everybody was so welcoming. He gave me a gift bag. you know that went and sat down and sitting by myself in the back and every service there's a question you get three minutes to answer it and i was really at church to ask for forgiveness for what i was thinking of doing you know the way i had been beaten down i just didn't think i deserved to live so i was contemplating suicide and I even had a a note written out to send to my kids. And this guy, Ryan, came up to me during the question, and we started talking. And he made me feel so, like, welcome and cared about that while I was talking to him, I started crying. And, you know, he was like, We'll talk after, after service, and after service, he stuck to his word and came to me. And, and uh, I had talked to Ryan about it, and he convinced me to not do anything. He said, just come to church, pray on it, talk to me, and we'll work through it. And we did. I talked to Ryan about it started going to therapy, and I decided that it wasn't going to happen. I couldn't cause that pain on my kids. My kids are the reason I'm alive today and, and in Fuse Church. I have a tattoo on my hand, stay, never give up, with my kids' and initial son. There's help out there. You know it's hard to ask for help especially for a man but there's help out there you know talk it out when I want to infuse and everybody there made me feel comfortable and you know that's building my relationship with God and I'm talking to him you know and it's I don't know if it's a relationship or a friendship, but I talk to him like he's, he's my best friend. So <laughs> I view my self-worth as it's getting better. I'm, I feel like I'm here for a reason. I'm not sad anymore. I'm actually happy. I haven't felt this type of happiness in years where I wake up at six o'clock in the morning. I make a cup of coffee. I sit on a deck and I thank God for waking me up that day.
0: Um, I wasn't getting emotional. Cal. You know uh, one of the reasons we started infused church and um, and why we 're a church for imperfect people is because, as this kind of series is all about, um, we um, constantly really believe this is that we want to say i 'm in on god 's love um, because um, you know Taylor personally Taylor of you know pre Jesus in my life would not have ever thought of imagined starting a church and trying to love people that didn't deserve my love. But when you get to know Jesus and you get to know that there's a, a God um, who loves you in spite of everything you've done and everywhere you've been, um, that helps you to love others. And so um, week one of this series is really about saying that, um, saying this rather, I'm in on God's love. On the next slide, um, AJ, he's back there crying too. Um, I'm in on God's love. Uh, And that's what we want for you. That's why we love imperfect people is because we want you to experience God's love as we have experienced God's love. And sometimes one of the best ways to say that is to say, I can't. I can't. I can't do it all. I can't be all. I can't hold the burden of everything I have to hold in life and all the places I've been and all the things I've done. And you say, I can't, but I know someone who can. And that someone for you can be God. That can be Jesus who came to earth not to condemn you, but to show you God's love for the world. And sometimes for each and every one of us, our starting point is to say, I can't, but I know someone who can. Um, when you came in today, you got uh, some communion elements um, if you want them. Um, They're also, if you didn't and you want to participate in communion, you are so welcome to do that. They're right there in the back. You can run to the back quick and grab at one. Um, and uh, there's two communion elements um, the bread and then the juice. And on the top is the bread, and in the bottom is the juice. Uh, And there's two little things. You can take the top off, and you get the bread, and then you can take the bottom um, cover off, and you have the juice. Um, And anyone and everyone who is... um, feels that calling of your heart to participate in communion today is so welcome to do that. If you're watching online, just grab some water, grab a cracker, a bread, whatever works, um, it will work for you today. We'd love for you to participate. Um, and what communion is about is about remembering. Communion is about remembering uh, effectively God's love um, because uh, we in this um, consume Christ's body and help it to become a part of us. And we consume uh, metaphorically Christ's Christ's blood which is a representation of his life and we want that to be a part of us and we remember that we're grateful for that and also so that it would energize us it would give us energy to share that love become a part of us and energize us to share that love with others and that's one of the beautiful parts of this ceremony that we call uh, the sacrament that we call communion so if you would like to participate we'd love for you to do that Um, and we have some words that Paul wrote um, in the New Testament that we kind of let set the up for us when we take communion and that is in the night in which he was betrayed our lord jesus took the bread and he broke it and gave thanks for it saying this is my body broken for each and every one of you when you take this body remember me again after supper he took the cup and he said this cup is a new covenant, it's a new agreement between you and I. Anyone who wants to enter into this agreement is more than welcome to do so. And the agreement is this, that I will die for you so you can be forgiven, that your debt can be wiped clean, that you do not have to bear the burdens of your sin any longer, and you are free. And when you drink this, remember that love that I have shed my blood for, for you. If you would, bow your heads and pray. Pray with me, Heavenly Father, Lord. For some of us, today's the day. We have been running from you, or trying to avoid you, put up those walls for a long time. We've been trying to convince you, convince ourselves. Uh, Some of us that you don't love us as much as you really do. And today's that day where we have to take that step, that step across that line of faith to trust in what we cannot see and we cannot see love, but we know it and we feel it and we can be transformed by it. That step of faith to say, Lord, we accept your love. That step of faith to say, Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, please help me. Forgive me of where I've been and help me to walk in your ways from now and forever. And so today with all of the eyes closed in this room as we're praying together, I would just ask if that's where you are, that you would just pray to your heavenly father right now, Lord, I can't, but you can. Lord, let your spirit fill my heart just as your body has filled me and your blood has filled me in this moment, your life has filled me. Let it fill me so I know and am filled with your love and transformed by it, that with that comes peace that passes understanding. Lord, as you take my burdens, that I may experience peace that passes all understanding, that we would be made whole. And your love, that the missing parts of our heart, Lord, my, the missing part of our heart would be filled by you and your love. That we would be all in on your love. And Lord, for those of us who have been walking with you for a long time, we can still experience shame. We can still experience frailty. We can still experience fear and weakness and worry. Lord, help us to renew our hearts and our minds, renew our spirits in you, in that very same love, that love that forgave a broken woman. Lord, help that love to fill our hearts so that we can have peace or we can be renewed again in the peace that you have given or offered to us so that we can move forward in your love. And so that we as a church collectively together can be a church that continues to welcome imperfect people with that outlandish love into our midst. And so that we can grow, not for the sake of growth's sake, but because transformation has occurred in people's lives. And that people can take steps forward in healing what was broken and restoring what is strained and find hope again in your love. Lord, help each and every one of us to take those steps forward. In your name I pray,
1: amen.